Hi, this is Brian Tarrant with Significance Magazine, and I'm here at the uh, RSS conference in Belfast, and I'm here today with Thordis Thorin's daughter. Hello, Thordis. Hello. So we're here talking about your talk, which happened just now, about uh, sea level rise, and uh, I guess modelling, predicting that. Uh, do you want to tell listeners a little bit about yourself, your, your background, and, and the work that you do? Yes, uh, so I'm an environmental statistician, and this session was about environmental statistics. Um, I work at a research institute in Norway called the Norwegian Computing Centre. And so we do sort of broad statistics, kind of all over the spectrum, statistics, machine learning. And I happen to do work related to climate and the environment. And this was related to one of my projects. Okay, so the focus is on sea level rise. Yes. So, um, I mean, most people will be aware, I'm sure, but maybe we should explain to listeners what we're talking about when we're talking about sea level rise. So, um, so basically, because the uh, for for multitude of reasons, uh, the the ocean is is rising. Um, now, of course, um, it but uh, so the the water is getting warmer in the ocean. The ice, the ice that is on land is melting. Um, but this effect is very different depending on where you are in the world, because also due to sort of effect from the previous ice age, land is rising. And in some regions, even like in Finland, uh, the land is rising faster than the sea. But we have been looking at places on the west coast of Denmark and west coast of Norway, where we are expected to see a significant uh, effect of sea level rise in the next uh, century. Okay, so sea levels might rise then because of uh, melting of ice caps that sort of thing. I, I, so you wrote an article for Significance about a year ago and I was fascinated to I didn't realise that the land was essentially still bouncing back from having the weight of the glaciers sitting on top of it during the ice age. That's, that's a fascinating thing. So that explains the differences and that's why it wouldn't be, you know, people talk about um, the effect of climate change and the melting of the ice caps leading to kind of a uniform rise, but that's not what we're expecting to see in all parts of the world, right? No, so, so, well, so the different speed of the land rise in different parts of the world is one thing. Another thing is that, because of sort of how the, the gravity works, that uh, when the Greenland ice melts and when the Antarctic ice melts, you will see uh, dif different effects of that in different parts of the world. So to, to study this then, you, you've not only got to um, look at where the sea level is now, You've got to, again, I guess, model what might happen based on various different inputs. Is that correct? So you're looking at sort of possible futures, essentially. Yes, yeah, so we have to look at sort of, we basically what we try to do is that um, you try, you have this sort of very local effect that is, is the local sea level rise. And you try to connect that to something where you believe we have good ideas of what's going to happen in the future. And so what we have done is we have connected the, the local sea level changes to global temperature changes because we believe that the climate models are um, comparatively good at projecting the global mean temperature changes. And one, one component of the work is not only to look at you know, what the rise might be, what the impact might be in different places, but also what to do about it right? and how people should respond to that. So can you talk a little bit about that side of the work? Yeah, so um, I was at uh, another conference in August, uh, the World Statistics Congress, and uh, there was uh, Noel Cressy was giving a presentation there. And he had this nice uh, sort of anecdote that 
it's uh, we shouldn't stop at knowledge. We have to also figure out, so what do we do about this knowledge and how do we take the knowledge about potential climate change and use it in decision making. And I very much agree with that sentiment. And I think uh, as statisticians, we have a lot to contribute in that aspect as well. Because what we were trying to do is we're trying to show that, um, so the, the decision maker just wants a number, right? They just need to make a decision and the decision is based on a number. Um, but we're trying to show that even if they don't want to know about the uncertainty that is behind the number, it's very important to account for it in the process of getting that number. And so we sort of try to come up with nice examples that illustrate what can happen if you include the uncertainty of the different things that might happen and what happens if you ignore the uncertainty. And so some of the uncertainties we look at is, so there's the uncertainty in what is gonna happen with the sea level rise, but there is also uncertainty in local damage. So on the coast you have sort of the damage due to sea level rise comes from storm surges. So, and then are we gonna have a big storm that is gonna hit a particular city in a particular year or not? So that's very uncertain. And then uh, the city is going to change as we move into the future. And so the damage from the same size storm is going to be different in 20 years than it is today due to changes in the city. And so, so those are the kind of uncertainties that we were trying to incorporate in the process. And from the decision maker side of things, and is it looking about, um, I know in the article you talked about defense, possible defense barriers and things like that, but uh, yeah. are there other um, strategies that they might be thinking about to cope with these changes to the, the natural world and um, where they need that guidance and advice and that um, range of possibilities from the, from the statistical analysis? Yeah, so, um, so they need sort of, uh, well, first of all, they, they need sort of options and like, what can we do? And, and you need other people than me <laughs> to tell them that. You need architects, planners, engineers, that come up with sort of the options of, of what you can do. And then uh, we, the statisticians, can then help them to take these options and look into what are the costs and the benefits of each option, basically. And you were saying earlier that the um, decision makers want a number and they might not necessarily want to know about the uncertainty. So how do you, d how do you what, I mean, is that a sensible position for them to take or is that just a, an, an a position that they're going to take because they're having so many different competing things to think about that boiling things down to a simple number is really the only way they can actually get anything done. Well, so uh, we talked to some people from the uh, the city of Oslo who sort of deal with uh, the sort of recommending the decisions to the politicians. And, and they were basically saying is that if, if I can't take um, an option and put it in as a line in my budget, nothing is going to happen. If it's not in the budget, it doesn't get done. And so uh, they need that number. Which number to put in the budget is sort of when I say they need a number. And, and they don't want that to be a range. Okay. So are you, you're having these conversations now with decision makers, or at least the people that advise decision makers? Or is that a, a, a step in the project, uh, the research that you're working on that's uh, maybe a few months, years away? Yeah, so uh, we, uh, so our work is sort of a little bit kind of in the abstract in terms of being researched. So what we did is we organized a workshop 
where we invited those people and we sat down over a couple of days and we had conversations and, and they basically presented to us what, what their issues are. And of course, uh, for them, uh, climate change is, is one of many issues. Uh, and especially, um, especially like in Oslo, they have, they have climate issues in the current climate. And maybe they find that a little more important to solve these issues than to something that might happen in the future, which is which is understandable. But still, it's important for them to have that information. Uh, and then after we finished uh, the work, we again had some conversations with uh, people from the municipality in Bergen to sort of tell them about uh, the results. What are you looking at next? What, what were the what was the uh, the the flavour that you left? Uh, delegates here today with about where you're going to take the, the work next? Yeah, so, so in this, uh, the work that is uh, published in Significance, we looked at these sort of three different components of uncertainty, but there's a, there's a lot of other components that we ignored simply because uh, we felt that it was too complicated a story to tell all at once. So now we're trying to dig into that a little more. And so we looked at like annual aggregates. We want to look at like daily things because there's more volatility in the, in the daily levels. Okay, so uh, note to listeners, read the, read the article in Significance and then maybe in a year or so's time we can have a, a follow-up where we go into a bit more detail on that. So, Thoris, thank you very much for your time today and I hope you enjoy the rest of the conference. Thank you very much.